O'Neal, thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 182 of the Ron and Don Show, and you heard right. He's Ron, I'm Don. That's why we call it the Ron and Don Show. Now, 26 years in, I think. How about that? Over 725,000 listens of this very podcast. And guys, we are so excited to be live from the Les Schwab Studios. In fact, coming up, on the Ron and Don Show, uh, Zillow and our friends at GeekWire and Redfin. They have a new story cooking today about how the real estate market is going to take off once again. Can you believe that? Hang on. Also, we want to talk about the fact that I think there's a lot of people heading into the holidays. And maybe you'll be doing some Zoom calls because I think that's probably how we'll have Thanksgiving with my mom. But some of us, there's created such division in our families, the politics that we have embraced this year that has been very, very hard. So what are some of the things that we could do to extend a hand of friendship? Not with just our neighbors, but also with family, friends, people that we work with. I wrote something that I don't want to share with you. Before we get to that, though, uh, let's get to this. This is kind of interesting. I don't know if you know this or not, but Twitter has some rules. And the rules for Joe Biden, who's going to be our next president, basically Joe Biden can say what Joe Biden wants to say. But if Twitter feels like there's something on there that's not necessarily true, they're going to go ahead and flag it. But right now, Joe Biden is not an official in the United States government. And because of that, there are different rules for him than there are for President Trump. So this is what a lot of people are thinking right now. And again, I don't want to talk about a lot of politics here, but I do find this to be interesting. Did you know President Trump in 2024 has a 9% chance of being the candidate for the Republicans? What a lot of people are beginning to think is that in 2024 that he'll run again because he can. He will use the Twitterverse over the next four years to chip away at Democrats in this administration. And as a result of that, the 75 million people that follow him now, maybe four years from now, have 125 million people. Who knows? This is pretty interesting because whether you like Donald Trump or not, he's done a pretty good job at using social media, but it looks like the handcuffs would... Companies like Twitter are going to go back on when he becomes a private citizen again. Because what they'll do now, they say, is they'll just take that content down if it's not true. He's no longer the president. And so, therefore, he doesn't have the right to say the things on their platform that aren't true. Well, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Because I've really evolved, almost done a 180 on this in my lifetime. And that is, who's the arbiter of truth with a capital T? And we've talked about this a lot leading up to the election and then in the post-election wake. And so Mark Zuckerberg has come out, and I think he started out very young. Of course, he did Facebook. It was the Facebook uh, when he was still a college student. And he was pretty idealistic. And so I think he came at it from this sort of libertarian thing of like, it's not my job to say what's true and what's not true. I'm trying to build a product that's going to go worldwide. There's going to be a bunch of different viewpoints, bunch of different religions, bunch of different countries, bunch of different governments. I'm just a platform. 
I'm a platform in the same way that if uh, if I made if Don and I made a truck and someone person A uses that truck for good and they're delivering medical supplies and then person B uses the same exact model of truck and they pack a bomb on there and blow something up, it's not the truck's fault. The user is using a platform and the user gets to do with that platform what they want. That was the initial theory behind. Google and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all these platforms are like, we're just a platform. We're agnostic to what is said and done on the platform. And and this is where it started to bother me. A number of years ago, almost a decade ago, we had the Lakewood Four killed. As a result of that, those four police officers, there were pictures uh, that ended up somehow online of those four particular police officers that died in the Forza Coffee Shop. Then somebody went out and they took those pictures and they made a Facebook page. And on all the Facebook pages, it was pictures of dead cops. And then there were guys that would come on and that they would celebrate the fact. And I did some research on who one of the guys was that was running one of these pages. And he was an ex-convict. And he had been in trouble with cops a lot. And as a result of that, when he got out, he started on Facebook, this particular channel. And guess what? Facebook would not take it down because of what you just said, Ron. They said, you know what? We may think the the images are horrible and it's not a place that or a page that we would start. And at the same time, we're not here to decide what information people can share and what information they can't share. And so those pages stayed up. And I'm telling you, when you talk to the families of the Lakewood Four, it was so disturbing to them because there were 11 kids that were left behind. And the last thing they wanted to do is, number one, explain to your family member, to your child, that your daddy's no longer here. And number two, that there are now pictures of him up online and a company like Facebook is not taking them down. So now I think that the the platforms are in a, a tough spot because, again, if you think just with the United States, uh, we have a cultural filter that is relatively easy um, to do an overlay. So like the president's tweets about voter fraud, Twitter is now a place to tag on them to go. This is, this is not true. Uh, but and if, and if it wasn't present to the point, they would take those down, but right. because he is the president, they, they, they stay but now. Let's say you're they'll, fa- they'll take that away when he becomes a private citizen in January. So let's say that you're in Palo Alto, California and the, uh, a world leader in the middle East makes a tweet that could be relatively nuanced about specific tribes or factions or uh, religious affiliations that might have nine moving parts. You're sitting in Palo Alto. How are you an expert on all that? So you might go, this seems false, but it may be true. Like, so like it could be very, maybe it's in a language you don't understand, but Facebook has been used in, in the myriad of ways. So here's my change. Cause I, I grew up with sort of this 1984 big brother, uh, thought crime thing that you can think whatever you want, but it doesn't become actionable until you do something. So, yeah. And I still, part of me still believes this as long as you're not publicizing it. So it's like, if, if, if someone's walking around with fantasies about crime and all that, all they're doing is thinking about it. How would I rob a bank? If I'm walking around the streets of Seattle and it's like, I really want to rob a bank. How would I do it? And so you go through all of these things and you make an elaborate plan of how you would want to rob this bank. You've not committed a crime yet. It's, I don't think it's illegal for you to daydream and to even plan out how you would rob the bank. 
Now, the second you start to buy things, okay, I'm going to need a saw. I'm going to need this welder. I'm going to need a getaway hang car. On, hang on. How do, how do you know that bank robbers get saws, welders? <laughs> how do you know this? This is very interesting. I'm just making this up as I go on. All the, all the okay. movies I've seen. What are you going to do with the saw? That's what I want to know. What so kind of saw is this you, uh, As soon as you start buying those things. Two-man saw? Is that and, what you're going Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then I think maybe you, know, you could move in and take action on that. But now let's say you, you, you put this in a digital format that's shareable. And so I just got sent an article the other day about the, these election results that made her these amazing allegations in there with no proof whatsoever. So now there's something that can cause damage. It's causing damage and has caused damage, and there's been multiple studies on this. So as a society, are we getting to the point where we're wanting to say, Hey, government, you never stepped in 15, 20 years ago when these platforms were coming uh, of age. It was completely unregulated. You left it to 26-year-old billionaires to set the rules. And so this is the result we've got. Everybody Mm. has their own custom truth. Everybody gets to invent their own echo chamber. Everybody gets to say, well, you think the world's around, but I believe the world is false. Agree to disagree. No, you, that's, that's not how agree to disagree works. You don't get to agree to disagree on verifiable fact, verifiable Then why truth. is the game called agree or disagree? We should probably rename the game. <laughs> well, it's not a game. If, I agree to you disagree. You just called it a game, and you said we're going to play right. a game, agree or disagree. It sounds like a crappy name for a game if, if you're not playing it that way. Agree to disagree Do you agree is, or disagree? Is, <laughs> is, you know, I love peanut butter and jelly, and you say, well, I like grilled cheese. Agree to disagree. That's a matter of taste. Mm-hmm. But we can't say uh, what I, I just previously said. So I've really come around on this where I, I think now – that we do need some sort of oversight. You do need some sort of arbiter of truth that does get to say, you can't come out and say, Hunter Biden did fill in the blank when you have no proof that he did that, where it's just a smear campaign. Oh, many people have said that the earth is flat. It doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean you can just throw that out there and let it dissolve into whatever the the fact that we have a, a an elected official for the first time in 2021 that believes in QAnon got elected and is going to be in the House of Representatives in Washington D.C. that should should send chills down the spines of everyone listening to that 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 just happened an avowed QAnon person got elected in the United States of America. That is an, 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 an incredible thing. And so if we don't intervene in that uh, and we don't have uh, it go even farther. So when, and I even think with world leaders, if world leaders are, are tweeting out things that are provably false, you know, if Donald Trump or any world leader comes out and they say, we had zero deaths from COVID today, when you can go to a hospital and say, this person died of COVID, here is the test. That should not be, they should not be allowed to put that into the public domain because people that are uneducated or are not paying attention read that in what we've seen the result. They go, well, the, the president of the United States said it was zero. Yeah. And, and then I'm we, not going to believe science. And then we see where that goes because then the president came out and talked about the fact at his rallies that, uh, we're turning the corner. It's like, no, you're not. 
And so those sort of things, I think we do need a throttle because these services are free. To, uh, we think they're free to us. Uh, I think sometimes 60 to 70% of adults in the United States check tw- uh, Facebook every day. Yeah. And so you get into this echo chamber, and, and when stuff is provably false, it should be removed. Just removed. The fact that you can make a website and publish a story that says many people said, fill in the blank, make up something that's false, I don't think we should just allow that. Yes, you're allowed to say that, but without the amplification of social media that stays on a blog that two yeah. people read. I'll give, I'll give you an example of what you're talking about. A number of years ago, uh, in the Obama administration, President Obama was the president at the time. Uh, I was down in New Orleans visiting some friends. My friend down there is a lawyer. His wife is a lawyer, U.S. attorney. There was also a principal there of a school in Pensacola, so a school principal, and then his wife, who was a teacher there. So you have four people, uh, two of them with law degrees, uh, one of them with a master's degree, um, and the other at least with a teaching certificate and, and probably a bachelor's degree. We're sitting at the table and we're having a conversation, and did... And, and someone at the table had shared with me a story about the Obamas, the Pledge of Allegiance, and little kids, and the fact that the Obama administration had come out and said that kids around the country, whether in their private or public school, are no longer allowed to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And there's a whole story that went along with that. Well, that story was not only a false story, but when, then when you trace the story back, it looked like it came from something like ABC News, but it wasn't ABC News. Uh, it was a story that was created somewhere in the Ukraine, we believe. And, and people will download this particular story and then it can start doing crazy stuff to your computer. So not only is the story false, but also all of a sudden you have this bot going in your computer that you just downloaded that you didn't know existed. And so as a result of that, though, we're sitting there and we're having a discussion and all four of them. All four of them believe that story. I had heard the story before working at a news talk station, and I began to share what that story really was and what it could do to your computer uh, and the reason why somebody might float that information out there. And I was an immediate libtard. They looked at me in the room, and they called me a libtard. And maybe there had been some drinking going on, so maybe they called me some other things. And it was mostly in good fun, but at the same time, they believe that story because they saw it on ABC News, but it was an ABC News story that had been copied and placed over on Facebook. And I was able to show them that it wasn't from ABC News at all, that there's a lot of disinformation out there. And the people that are creating the disinformation, they're really, really good at it. Because when you can take a U.S. attorney, somebody else with a law degree, a principal and a school teacher, and they all believe that story... That's a real issue and a real problem. Yeah, it? so it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the power of Donald Trump when that is taken away. Uh, and he's going to rail against it, but he's no longer going to have the bully pulpit or the Justice Department in, in, uh, to, to back him up. Do you think he'll run in 2024? I, I think he'll continue to have rallies. He's having rallies right now, and he's no longer going to be the president. Well, he's trying to raise enough money to pay everything off. I think there's a good chance, and I'm not just – saying this be, to be inflammatory, I think there's a good chance he could be bankrupt and or in jail in four years. And I'm not joking. Or dead. Or dead. Yeah. That's an interesting way to end that segment. 
Hey, uh, we come back on the Ron and Don Show. Real estate. Uh, there's a story out today in GeekWire about Redfin. Are they redlining? Redfin, redlining. What does that mean? We'll talk about that on the other side of this. They're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. <laughs> when it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected. And I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential. And Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide, their services, were it just made it easy. It was a laydown. Ron and Don seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. <laughs> the weekend that we sold the house, um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, we did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem. Never felt rushed, always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. You did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me at ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, uh, thanks for checking out the Ron and Don Show. And don't forget, if you're ready to start your real estate journey with us, we'd love to go on that journey with you. It starts by you doing some, some of your homework, though. You have to do your homework. We put together a buyer's guide and a seller's guide. We'd love to sell it to you. It's electronic. We'd actually love to sell it to you for $1 million. But because maybe you don't have a $1 million, we're just going to give it to you for free. See how nice, nice that recovery. was? Nice how, recovery. How, how, how about that? How about that? <laughs> we're going to give it to you for free. <laughs> So anyway, all we're you have to sell do sell you a free guide. Yeah. Uh, Limited time only. Yeah. Reach out to Ron. Ron at windermere.com will get you that guide. Uh, and it's a good guide if you're starting out on uh, your journey somewhere. And if you want to start it with a friend, that'd be good too. A story today from our friends over at GeekWire. Love the guys at GeekWire. What uh, up, Todd? Yeah. What is redlining and what is Redfin being accused of doing when it comes to redlining? And also Zillow just had a third quarter that blue folks out of the water and they say hey as we head into the new year there might be another resurgence uh in an uptick in real estate but we haven't really seen a downtick here except for really close micro markets in downtown seattle other than that it's there, been there, really well, healthy right? there's two storylines here one is the headline was people want to move uh, and especially if you're in a white collar job that can work from home they're finding that many people are like why am i living downtown 
if I don't have to go back to work for another year. Uh, and so there's been this seismic shift. And I actually heard Seth Godin talk about this, uh, the author the other day. He said, Zoom is going to fund or the, the or its analogs are going to fundamentally change things here for a while where we had this model that said you have to physically come to the building uh, and that's been going on for for decades and it didn't matter if you worked in tech you still had to come to the building and that's why you know Amazon was just gobbling up all that square footage you had to be in the building now that shifted and, and businesses have learned eh, maybe not everyone needs to come to the building that's a pretty good proposition if you're if you're a big company. Wait a minute. So I was paying rent on five million square feet of office space, and now I can pay rent on two million square feet of office space. That's a pretty good deal. So, uh, and if they're like, "Hey, we'll give some people a, a bump," maybe you can move from an expensive city to a cheaper city. Uh, uh, that's a pretty good deal for the company if they don't have to come in. And once a quarter, we'll fly everybody in for a big event after post COVID. You're still saving money versus paying that rent. So people want to move. That's the main headline in Zillow, and they think that demand is going to continue in that. The subset story, which I found fascinating, because I was thinking about this from both sides, is there's a lawsuit pending right now with Redfin of redlining. And so what that means is it's an old real estate term where back in the day in like uh, when there were Jim Crow laws and whatnot, mortgage lenders would literally draw a red line on a map around a neighborhood and say, we're not lending money on this neighborhood. And so it was basically where they would force, um, based on these covenants that we've talked about before on the show, of saying, look, for like the, the house we're standing in right now in 1940, if I was black or brown or Asian or probably even Jewish, I couldn't buy a house on this neighborhood. There was a covenant that said, you can't live here. And, and what that did is it would force these marginalized groups or minority groups to go into a specific neighborhood. And that was called redlining. We're going to draw a red line and either for mortgage purposes or covenant purposes, we're going to force you to go into that spot. So now in the modern day, uh, people are accusing Redfin of saying there's a threshold that you have to meet on the dollar side, asking price of your house before Redfin will accept that listing. Because what they're doing is they're offering a discount uh, on the listing fee, but it has to be a certain amount uh, before they'll take it. So the, the lawsuit is saying by doing that, you are basically doing digital redlining. And so you're disproportionately affecting people of color whose houses aren't worth as much historically because of these historic trends than the, the wider more expensive suburban neighborhoods. And so they're trying to defend that. Now, if you look at that from uh, a Redfin's perspective, setting a floor value makes sense. It's like, hey, here's what my operating costs are. We're running pretty thin margins. We have to sell a house for at least this much or we're losing money. Uh, so that's probably what they were thinking. But from a social standpoint, you're going, okay, well, where are all the lower price houses clustered? They're clustered predominantly in lower income neighborhoods. Who populates these lower income neighborhoods? Immigrants and people of color. Uh, it's a really interesting case. I'm, gonna, I'm interested to hear what you think about it. Well, I think it's unfortunate that Redfin is possibly doing some redlining 
But what you have to look at a discount brokerage like that, for instance, they'll get some new agents that come out of real estate school and they're like, hey, you don't have to worry about any of the contract stuff. You're just going to go door to door and open doors for people. And then we'll have another group of people that will list the property and we'll have another group of people that will help sell the property. We'll have another group of people that help stage the property. Well, they have so many different groups that are involved in selling your property. And then on top of that, they're selling at a discount. So of course, they have to be at a specific threshold in order for it to make sense, dollars and cents for them. And so I think what Redfin is going to find out is it may have made sense doing it this way, but it does sound like they are redlining uh, other folks online. It sounds exactly like... uh, it sounds exactly what's 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 happening. And it would be easy to prove because you could all you have to do is go into the database, look at all that. You could take a year, take twenty twenty, look at all the houses that were sold, uh, and then you just compare the values, compare who the owners are because it's all public record. So you can just go in and and see what it was. And so I think if you're the person on the side of this lawsuit, you should see that. And, and real estate industry is trying to grapple with this. Because your average agent is not responsible for these behaviors of 40 or 50 years ago, but the results still ripple forward. And so, yeah, if you're working in this industry, you you have incentive to, to buy or sell the most expensive properties that you can because that's where you're going to make the most money. So every real estate company, every agent, like if you could, if everybody could sell $10 million houses, they would. Because then you're going to make the most amount of money. The mortgage company makes the most money. The lenders make the most money. The uh, the agents make the most money. The everybody makes the most money. But you know, and then when you go down to a hundred and forty nine thousand dollar house, everybody makes the least amount of money. So yeah. it, we all get that. But there are forces at play that have been going on for decades, if not centuries, in America that have created that dynamic. And there's a reckoning happening right now uh, where real estate companies are trying to go, how do we be more equitable? How can we serve everybody with the same level of service and professionalism uh, regardless of price point? And it's a difficult equation to solve. Yeah, especially if you're going to give a a discount to folks up front. So, and real estate can get really complicated really fast. And that's why... I think you always need that human element involved in any uh, transaction, especially on the buyer side, so you don't so you don't spend too much. And on the seller side, to make sure that your home is frontline ready and you are ready to go and all buttoned up. So, anyway, if you need our help, just reach out. Right, Ron, Ron at windermere.com. We have that buyer's guide, that seller's guide that will send you. For a million dollars. Yeah, and it's good to start uh, asking questions right now, even if you're going to start that journey sometime in 2021. Uh, let's have a conversation now about it. And if it is 2021, get going. If it's 2022 and you're listening to this from two years ago, we're, we, you had that opportunity in 2021. What happened? And 2020. <laughs> Where have you been? And 2025. And also, thank you for finding us <laughs> and listening. Time traveler. We appreciate it. That's the thing about radio shows. You do one and they're done and no one ever listens to them again. But with podcasts, wow, it's incredible how people will sit down and Evangelist, right? Yeah. Hey, uh, coming up here, hopefully we're going to head toward the holiday table uh, table on Zoom calls. That's what we're going to do at my house. Uh, we've been having dinner with my mom a number of times just on Zoom calls, which has been really lovely, you guys. It's been super cool. Uh, I just had some thoughts and ideas as this election season is about to be over. And maybe it is over. 
um, how we should treat each other. I'll talk about that next. Today's show is made possible by your friends, Ron and Don, licensed realtors with Windermere Midtown. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. Don't forget, you can find everything at ronanddonsitdown.com if you need to reach out to us or you need to schedule a time with us. Just go to ronanddonsitdown.com. There's a calendar right there. And then we can sit down with you virtually. It takes about 45 minutes. And uh, Ron and I don't drink that much coffee anymore. So we're kind of cheap dates. How about that? Anyway, uh, I really got to thinking about the way that we have all handled ourselves and treated each other uh, during this election cycle. And, and, and I'm hoping it doesn't continue. But we keep seeing all these stories about deep divides and deep rifts in our culture. It made me start to think about uh, a football player that played in Seattle by the name of Richard Sherman and then a quarterback uh, who, who's won a Super Bowl maybe once, maybe six times, by the name of Tom Brady. And I don't know if you remember a number of years ago, Richard is now with the 49ers. Uh, there was a year where Richard Sherman and Tom Brady, during games, Richard Sherman would ask him if he was mad. Remember, are you mad, bro? In fact, he asked him, he confronted him and asked him after a game if he was mad. Then he went out and he made t-shirts and he, Richard Sherman profited off of this, right? Are you mad, bro, t-shirts? And some people say that he took that money uh, that he made and he turned around as a result of that and gave the money to um, his charity uh, that provides blankets, food, pencils, all kinds of cool stuff uh, for inner city kids. So anyway, there's this riff, a pretty deep riff. And I think we'll all remember five years ago, uh, Ron and I were in Arizona for a Super Bowl with Tom Brady, Richard Sherman, and here we go. And these guys are going to see each other again. Think about the tension in that game between Richard Sherman and Tom Brady. Also think about the final play of that game where people felt like Russell Wilson should have handed the ball to Marshawn Lynch. And he shouldn't have thrown that pick, that interception. And as a result of that, New England Patriots end up winning. Tom Brady, in a reflective moment, kneeling over on the field. And then some guy comes over who's been antagonizing him for years. And you know what he does? He doesn't ask him if he's mad, bro. He extends his hand to him, and he congratulates him. And then in the next frame, you see Tom Brady and Richard Sherman embracing. So this is what I wrote. Five years ago, we all watched in horrors the Seattle Seahawks lost to New England Patriots in the last seconds of the Super Bowl as Russ Wilson threw an interception instead of giving it to Beast Mode. As a fan, I did not like that. But you know what? As a fan, it took me a little while, but I finally accepted it. <laughs> Have you accepted it yet? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Still a bonehead play, but you, yeah. You know what helped me accept it, though? It was the moment right after the game. You had two men who had become bitter rivals during the season, but then Richard Sherman decided to extend a hand of friendship to Tom Brady. And Tom Brady was at first stunned, but then he stood up and he returned the gesture. This is the first time that uh, I had ever seen anything like this in sports. But then I heard after this story, I had heard about the story of Peyton Manning, 
who had also been brought to the Broncos to take on the Seahawks. They had the number one offense in the NFL until in 2013 they ran into the Seahawks. And you know what happened after that game? After Peyton Manning, who was brought to the Broncos after they got blown out, Peyton Manning, still with all his Bronco gear on, he walked into the locker room of the Seattle Seahawks and he started shaking hands and congratulating them even after they had just dismantled his offense on national television. Hey, guess what? The contest in America is over. And I'm just wondering if these two bitter political rivals, if they will model this moment for us or not, time will tell. I think we all feel sometimes that losing is not acceptable. But you know what? Losing is inevitable. You can measure a life well-lived, I think, not by all the wins, but by the way someone processes, accepts, and learns from all the losses and the tough times. Wins never make you better. It's the losses, the firings, the hard times that give us all a chance to grow. These are the moments where we learn the most. These are the moments where we reach deep and we ask ourselves, what was my part in all this? Are you mad, bro? That was the question that Sherman asked Brady all year long. But right after a devastating loss, he found the character in the fortitude to extend his hand of friendship. I hear those two men are great athletes, great men, and great friends today. So Mr. President and Mr. President-elect, it's time to model this for my little boy, for our nation, and for the rest of the world, because the world is watching. It was one hell of a fight, but the fight is over. Now leave it on the field. And then I sign love and respect to all my friends that voted for President Trump. I extend my hand of friendship to you. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. It means everything to us. If you need us, just reach out, ronanddonsitdown.com. And we'll see you next time. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs> 